It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We've got a Senior Bowl recap coming to you today as Joe is back in Buffalo, having spent some time down in Mobile, Alabama. We've got the Pro Bowl happening today. We will gloss over that for the most part. Then we'll talk about the implications coming out from the Senior Bowl, some of the interesting things that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, because there's just so much to talk about from that one-week All-Star game down in Mobile. But we'll start with a quick recap of the Pro Bowl. The AFC beat the NFC in the Pro Bowl this year by a score of 38-33. to The Bengals' lone representative to the Pro Bowl, Geno Atkins, recorded one tackle, and that is all I see in the box score. MVP on offense was Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, and on defense was Kalias Campbell. Of note, of course, the sports world was shocked today, when news out of Los Angeles was that Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gianna, the head coach of their basketball team, John Altobelli, along with his wife, Carrie, and daughter, Alyssa, passed away in a helicopter crash. There were commemorations for this around the sporting world today, including two 24-second clock violations in reverence to Kobe's number 24 in the Spurs game in San Antonio, and in the Pro Bowls, Darius Smith organized a celebration after a sack in homage to Kobe Bryant, where he got a bunch of defensive players together and they all acted as if they were taking jump shots, presumably shouting Kobe the way so many of us have when we take a shot in the pickup games or throw a piece of paper into the wastebasket. A sad day in the sports world. In Senior Bowl news, 34-17, the North team beat the Bengals' South team as the... Well, it kind of looked like a typical Bengals game, didn't it, uh, Jake, as the Bengals really couldn't muster anything for a while there. They scored a touchdown at the end after really getting nothing out of Montez at quarterback as their third quarterback. It really was Justin Herbert when he was in early in the game. They drove down the field. They scored points. Herbert was eventually named Senior Bowl MVP, which has been um, a prestigious honor for past Quarterbacks who have won that award. So Justin Herbert, I think a lot of people are going to talk about that game, talk about if that solidified his top 15 selection, which I think it probably already did anyways. And what does it mean for the Bengals? I think that Herbert's selection as the MVP was maybe preordained. 
Herbert had a few nice runs. He finished 9 for 12 for 83 yards and a touchdown. Looked efficient. Looked like a guy that belongs in the NFL for sure. But I don't know if he did enough to me to deserve the MVP. But this is really not a debate that matters. Right. And it was on the losing team also. So that's kind of weird to get MVP on a losing performance. Uh, To me, it was Anthony Gordon because this game was pretty close until he came in and went eight of 12, 69 yards and two touchdowns. One really nice one. Second uh, touchdown was a nice side slot arm angle that he's known for at Washington State. And Jalen Hurts and Steven Montez, as you mentioned, had a rough day for the South in quarterbacking really after Jalen Hurts. The South team had a really hard time in pass protection. They were Mm -hmm. getting absolutely killed at both tackle positions. If it was Throckmorton, if it was Steele, it didn't matter. Bradley and I and Josh Uchi were absolute tears off the edge for that North squad. And and I in particular was very impressive on one drive beating Steele, I think three times in a row, twice for sacks. Great hand usage. I think he made himself some money because he's so well refined. He's got all the pass rush moves. He doesn't quite have the athleticism. He's not going to be the top 15 guy as a result of that. But he's a technician with his hands, and I think that translates to the NFL. Indeed, I think he was the MVP, if we're going to name anybody. He was the most disruptive player out there, most consistently disruptive. It didn't matter who he was going against. And it wasn't just one move or one way to win. He was winning inside, outside, late in the snap, early in the snap, you know, on the play. Uh, so, I, you know, Anai just completely annihilated the South team. That's a good pun. He was very good. And the interior offensive line, at least for the South squad, looked good, anchored by... The two guys from LSU, Lloyd Cushenberry at center and Damian Lewis at guard. Throckmorton also did get some snaps at center. He played at both tackle positions and at center. And there was one point in the game when he was doing an interview with Dave Laugham on the sideline before they realized that the South had recovered an interception and were back on the field. And Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan are out there scrambling to try to find somebody to put in a tackle. They were getting ready to get a tight end ready because they did not have any backup offensive linemen. And it really showed. That is a big reason, I think, that the game went the way it did with the South really struggling to generate a passing offense in particular. They were able to run the ball at the end of the game. The announcers were like, oh, where's the urgency? Why are they running the ball? But it it seemed like they just had to with the personnel and the protection issues they were having at tackle. Yeah, and also they talked about the want for balance. They didn't want to get to a point where they were just passing the entire time, and let's say the third-string running back never got a chance to carry the ball and show what he can do. So I, even though the Bengals were down, some people were confused at what they were doing. you got to remember, part of the game is not just winning the game, but getting everyone the chance to showcase and display what they can do for all the scouts. Well, yeah, you saw Matt Patricia send the field goal unit out there. He said, I'm going to take a timeout here with three seconds left. And he sent his kicker out. And he, that guy absolutely drilled a oh, long he's field so good. there. He had a great week. What was his name? His name is Tyler Bass. Yeah. He made himself some money, too, I think, down in the senior bowl. Rodrigo Blankenship, the other kicker in this game, was not as good. He missed a field goal. He doesn't have the same leg that Tyler Bass does. If you want a kicker out of this game, I think it's Tyler Bass. Yeah, and watching all week, Bass was phenomenal. I mean, I don't I don't think I saw him miss one until they tried that real long one on day three that hit the post. And for Blankenship, he was scattering all over the place and struggled from 45 and beyond. And I even think his max was maybe 53 or 54. So there's your special teams recap. Digging deep 
in this Senior Bowl game, in the Senior Bowl roster. We've got some more Senior Bowl takeaways to talk about, though, including Brian Callahan calling the plays. And does that mean anything for next season? We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Before we get into talking about Brian Callahan calling the plays, our third time returning sponsor, Abco Safety, is a safety distributor located in Cincinnati, partnered with 3M to sponsor the podcast for the third time, and we greatly appreciate their support. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, give them a call because they will save you money on your safety budget. Joe, you can check out their website at www.abcosafety.com for their full stock, but keep in mind those are retail prices. What are you looking at today? I'm looking at anti-fatigue floor mats, and these things are great not only for a little bit of uh, protection for your knees. I put them underneath my workbench and things like that around in the basement, and uh, they're good for your knees, and they're also good for grip. They are going to keep you feeling better if you got to stand up and work for a long time, and I have so much respect for like cashiers and stuff that have to do yeah. that all day. That's hard work. Anyway, go check out the website, abcosafety.com. Give them a shot at quoting your safety equipment to see how much money they can save you. You can reach them at 513-672-1818. Mention Locked On Bengals so they know you came from the podcast. Again, that's 513-672-1818. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's blue Chew. Dot com promo code locked on to try it free blue chew is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the lockdown bengals podcast i wondered if this would happen because during the week it wasn't zach taylor calling plays it was brian callahan i didn't think anything of it i didn't tweet about it we didn't talk about it on the podcast because i just figured you know taylor's going to roam around and talk to each position group talk to each individual player as he felt free to do and Callahan would call the offensive plays. Well, in the game, of course, as we saw, Taylor was kind of just uh, the figurehead walking around, giving talks to everyone. But it was indeed Brian Callahan calling the plays for the game. Jake, what do you make of it? I don't think it really means anything. In fact, it's been covered by Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com and Jay Morrison of TheAthletic.com. It sounds like they just did it so that Zach Taylor could watch both sides of the ball more closely. So he would be free as the head coach to do his evaluative work on both sides of the ball. And then when the defense was on the field, he didn't have to go deal with coaching up the offense on the sideline or talking about what happened on that drive, what we're going to do on the next drive. And it sounds like Callahan has done this before. When he was in Oakland, actually, when he was a quarterback's coach, not the offensive coordinator for the fourth preseason game, he went ahead and called the plays in Oakland. And that was because what happened was, they kind of split the team. The guys they knew were making the team. They were getting ready for week one. 
And so the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, John Gruden, the head coach, were preparing the guys that they knew were going to be on the roster for week one for that week one install. Meanwhile, Brian Callahan was leading the preseason game four install, and then he called the plays in that game. And it sounds like that's fairly common practice around the league so that the guys that will be in charge of week one can spend extra time getting ready for that. And that makes sense, especially because at the end of preseason, you don't want to give the guys you're going to cut too much of the playbook going into week one, right? Because they may end up on your rival's team. So that's when a lot of language usually changes. You may, whatever you call this route or this audible, you're going to change the wording of it. So that makes sense if the offensive coordinator is carrying on with the guys that are going to make it and you continue with the preseason play calls with those guys. Because actually, Zach Taylor was asked this in right after his podium on day one they said well how much of this playbook has changed or how much is it the same are you going to pare it down for these senior bowl participants and he says well most of these guys are going to go on to other teams so we don't want to give them too much of our playbook and we're going to change some of the words so that they really don't know what we have when we go back to using our our regular offense and he even mentioned that uh, brian callahan was in charge of that and changing the key words to uh to throw everyone off and it was even throwing him off so that makes sense that if callahan orchestrated that he was also the one to call the plays. Yeah, that was a funny little note where Taylor didn't know some of the play calls either because the terminology changed. It's actually also interesting. On Saturday night in season, Jay Morrison writes that, and Callahan told him that they kind of get together, Taylor and Callahan, and go through, they pick a game, they pick a, a, a line score from a game, a play-by-play score from a game, and, and they put themselves in the shoes of the coordinators in those games and they say okay Hmm. we're playing a team with a good defense this week so we're going to pick a low scoring game with a good defense and the reason we're going to do that is because you know you're more likely to get a whole bunch of third and longs it's more likely to be a field position game or whatever it is and they go through and say okay we're in this situation now it's third and seven uh we're down seven in the second quarter what play are we calling here so they get in sync by going through this exercising with their game plan in place saying, okay, our philosophy for this week is going to dictate that we're going to call this play in this situation if this is what we're seeing. And I think that's a pretty cool exercise to hear about. And just reading through that piece, it's there's some real mind meld, I think, between Callahan and, and Zach Taylor. And maybe that's why you get that sort of discussion from the top down, from Duke Tobin all the way down about how everyone is on the same page. Yeah, and I think, when you read about the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson and their call, play calling and how they already know their fourth down situations and the play calls going into it. So they, as soon as they end up in a fourth and three from the 48, they already know they're going for it. They walk out there, they do, they call the play that's already expected because they've prepared for that all week and they've already discussed all of those scenarios. So it sounds like the Bengals are doing that as well. Um, obviously not to the same success. They don't have a Lamar Jackson, but point is that you prepare for those situations and you do it enough that when you get there there's no debating or arguing over it it's just okay here it is jake we're here third and six again let's call the play we called last time or we prepared for that's the value of good preparation when that whole news about the browns coaching staff having to submit stuff to the analytics department on friday came out i think that's sort of what that's getting at right i don't think it's like a mandatory thing where analytics guys d podesta are going to be like oh no you're not running this play that's that you know that's like a mid-range jumper in basketball analytics hasn't really gripped football the same way as basketball where you if you look at the way teams shot the most the 100 most 
commonly shot locations on a basketball court from 10 years ago and today, the whole, the mid range jumpers just disappeared. And now it's just yep. threes and in the paint. And that's all NBA teams are doing now in baseball. You see this shift toward three true outcomes where you have guys that are trying to hit for more power. You have spin rate, you have all this stuff that's really penetrated the game of baseball, but in football, while it's gotten in there to some degree, it hasn't changed the game in the same way, at least not yet. I think we're starting to see some of that. Yeah, and I thought people overblew that situation with the Browns, right? Is that what you were saying? That when people are like, yeah, what do you mean you got to submit it to the analytics? I I think all that is is making sure they're all on the same page, every department, because by submitting it to them is just saying, hey, do you have a plan for fourth and three from the 48? Because you know punting there is a huge loss. You know, it, it, just as long as we're on the same page, I just would like to make sure you guys have a plan for that situation, whatever that situation may be. And maybe you need to have a couple more plays for two-point conversions because those are more valuable, yada, yada. And I think that is a good thing to have that mix and that, that unified vision. And I think it really is more of a organizational philosophy at that point than it's like, okay, it's Friday night. It's time to change our game plan, right? You're not going to make substantial changes that late in the week or even in the mid-season point, unless it's a bye week, you're not going to make significant changes to your team's identity unless you're Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. So you, you get this process where it's just getting everybody in the same mindset. And like you said, the Ravens are a great example of this, right? And even the great coaches in the league, the Andy Reeds to some degree, Bill Belichick certainly just know how to do this intuitively. And that's part of what makes them so great. One of the really great articles I read on analytics and football recently, and I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole, but <clears throat> Bill Belichick, they're saying doesn't need analytics. And when you ask him about it, he's kind of like, I don't use analytics. I just know what's right. And he's right. generally pretty well in line with analytics because he's a good football coach. And he's one of the best football historians we have right now. So I think the amount of tape he's crunched and for his memory and brain power, he probably can see that 40% of those convert and that's a good thing. You know, he doesn't need the number to tell him. I bet if you saw it, he'd go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I've seen over my lifetime. And he keeps moving. And, And so that's your marriage of the old school football guys and analytics. It's Bill Belichick. That is the guy that we all have to latch onto, minus the cheating. We've got some more Senior Bowl takeaways to get to here. We'll talk about some of the players a little bit more that translated from practice to the game. We'll get to all that here in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. One of the biggest losses for the Senior Bowl game and why I think it had such a big impact where the Bengals are really scrambling to find some offensive tackles. Ben Barch out of St. John's, and enough has been said about him. I think a lot of people have written about it. But that last day, he tweaks his knee a little bit, and you could see he was in serious pain on that last day of uh, practice. I think if they would have had him, he was their best lineman, I think, all week, especially at tackle. He's the best tackle, I'll say that, because I thought Cushenberry and Damian Lewis had great weeks of practice, and then it translated to the game. But uh, not having Barch out there, I think, uh, impacted them in much more ways than they really wanted to, at least – you know, if, even if you could have done something on one leg, it would have been a much better outcome. Yeah, and the South team also had already lost Prince Tega Wanogo from Auburn, and John Simpson from Clemson didn't play either. So they were just down bodies on top of being undermanned, maybe from a skill perspective. Yeah, but even though Simpson was trashed, I think, the entire week, he got, man, there were so many times Jim Turner just aired him out for you're all over the place. You're crazy. Your feet are slow. Be an athlete. It was it was entertaining, but he was the worst lineman out there. It's too bad that the offensive line didn't perform a little bit better. I know they only have five guys, but you could say that's even a strength, right? I mean, they're moving guys around a whole lot, but you would get more cohesion with just five guys on the field versus the amount of rotation that you would expect or maybe would have expected to have seen. That didn't really play out in the game. They just had issues at tackle. That They yeah. just... Could not pass block Terrence Steele, the Texas Tech offensive tackle. Had a terrible game, really, frankly. He got beat, like I said, I think three plays in a row by Bradley and I, and it just absolutely killed. You can see Jalen Hurt, just he was so frustrated. Yeah. And with Steele, too, because when you had me on, I think it was after day one, I mentioned Steele and Barch as two guys that Turner were taking a liking to. And then day two, Steele was messing up as good as he was getting praised, and you could see it start to turn, and nobody is safe from Turner. And on day three, it was just lit, just laying into him constantly because as he kept just continuing to mess up, his week went from, okay, maybe this guy can play, to, oh, man, I'm not sure where this guy's getting drafted at all. Yeah, he definitely had a quick descent after the first day of practice. Calvin Throckmorton didn't look like he was going to hold up at tackle in the NFL either. He looks like he will have to kick inside. His best play probably came at center in this game, and he has played all over the offensive line for the Oregon Ducks. Just doesn't look like he will be able to cut it at tackle. He did say, though, that since he played in, I think, the East-West Shrine game the week before, compared to some of the other guys out there, he might have been a little fatigued. Yeah, and he didn't show up until late anyway, so any type of repertoire he may have had with the other guys – was maybe shorter than the rest of uh, what what it maybe potentially could have been. So that's a tough place for him to be. He missed the first day of practice, got in like at midnight going into the second day of practice. So can't really fault him too much. At least he got out there, put some more on tape. I think that some of the players that were hurt, though, are some of the more interesting players or some of the players that dropped out. Javon Kinlaw, of course, I think solidified yeah. just in that day one performance. I don't need to be here. 
I'm going to just go get my body right. But also the Auburn end or tackle wherever he ends up in the NFL, Marlon Davidson. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how he plays out. Would have liked to have had a chance to watch him in this game. Who else stood out, Joe? Did uh, did anybody in the secondary do anything in the game that caught your attention? No, I wouldn't say in the game because, again, it was – you see maybe – 200 snaps during the week in practice that sometimes in the game yeah you want it to carry over you want them to play just well or maybe surprise you in the opposite way it's hard to get out the other 200 snaps you watch that guy and, and i'm thinking of like pride jr from notre dame in the yeah. corner and he just had a fantastic week and sure he struggled at times i think day three with with uh kj hill uh and um the thinking of the smu slot receiver that i can't think of the name right now Struggle with those guys a little bit inside, but I don't think that's his deal anyways. I think Pride's going to be a boundary corner. And then during the game, I didn't notice him too much. So, I mean, as long as he didn't go out there and embarrass himself, I think he won and had a big week. Denzel Mims, just talking yes. about wide receivers that had good weeks. He won on a deep route. He was overthrown pretty badly. Yep. Uh, right. That play. Now, if he if that's not overthrown, he catches it. The game's different. He's you know. Then we're talking about that guy. What a way to cap off just a fantastic week. I just saw a, uh, someone had their top fifteen receivers, and then they had Mims in there, and I was like, whoa, man, is he that far? Is this class that good that we're talking about? This guy's a fourth, fifth round pick, and if that's the case, man, sign me up. It is a really good class, and one of these guys that's a really good receiver is going to fall. It could be just like Marvin Jones all those years ago for Cincinnati, where, again, was a really good receiver class, and down goes Marvin Jones. Mohamed Sanu goes down to the third round. I mean, K.J. Hill is a guy that a lot of people think have really helped himself, similar to Terry McLaurin, and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up after he had a great week of practices but just didn't have the production at Ohio State. Yeah, he's like a lot of those Ohio State guys. They rotate him like crazy. And, you know, you look the last few years and Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin. I think both those guys were seen as maybe going to be better NFL players than they were college prospects. And McLaurin had a fantastic rookie year. So KJ, and I saw him as a fourth-round guy. Maybe he's a third-rounder now. I think that's a great mid-round pick. And none of these guys that we talked about at receiver during the week really had very big games in the actual game itself, which is kind of funny. Courtney Davis was probably one of the standouts, right, in in the actual game itself, but he wasn't great early on in practices during the week. Colin Johnson, who was really good during practice during the week, had two catches for 25 yards. Jawan Jennings, who had a pretty rocky week from what I understand, had a really nice deep touchdown catch. For the South, and then Darius Anderson, who's not a name I recall talking about at all this week, nope. led all receivers with two catches for 87 yards and a touchdown. One of those being a 75-yard catch. Yeah, and then Gandy Golden, who didn't have a good week, catches a touchdown. And I think the interesting guy is Notre Dame's Chase Claypool has two catches, six yards, and a touchdown. He looks like a tight end to me. I wouldn't be surprised in this huge receiver class that. I think he should pack on a few pounds and go as a tight end. I think he could, he could get drafted higher than if he just goes as a receiver. If Steven Sullivan is a tight end, there's no reason that Chase Claypool right. can't be a tight end, essentially, is, is, is what you're getting at there, I think. And the other standout player, I think, that we should probably talk about, even though there's no real impact for the Bengals, I don't think, here is Joshua Kelly, the UCLA running back, oh, yeah. who showed some great bursts, great vision, got out in the open field, but I will say that he was running through some perfectly blocked holes. That that North offensive line was executing pretty well in the run game. 
Yeah, he looked good. He he showed he had some speed and a little bit of power in him. And and on the south side, I thought uh, P. Ryan was pretty good too. Seven carries, forty-two yards. He also caught two for seventeen and a touchdown. So, um, yeah, I don't know where the Bengals may or if they take a running back, but just two guys to look at. Yeah, listening to Duke Tobin and Jeff Hobson, they did a live Hobson's Choice from the Senior Bowl. And listening to those guys, sounds like they think the Bengals are going to try to extend Joe Mixon here. So we will have to keep an eye on that this offseason. That will be a place that some of those free agent dollars could potentially go. Mm-hmm. And that will be, I think, a conversation for another day we will not get into it now that's actually going to wrap up today's episode of the lockdown Bengals podcast we'll be back tomorrow for mock draft monday take a look at what goes up on the draft network they will do their first post senior bowl mock for their mock draft monday and then we'll do our own hop into the simulator and i've just got senior bowl on the mind so we'll see how that plays out when we get into our first post senior bowl mock draft until then Bengals fans have a good one Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.